listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. everybody and welcome to another Women's Online Wellness Thirsty Thursday. I'm Dr. Ron Eaker, your host this evening, and I am a real doctor. I just don't play one on TV or Facebook. So we're glad you're with us tonight. This is going to be a really, really interesting talk you cannot miss tonight. If you do miss tonight, just be sure you get the replay because it's going to be really, really important, especially if either you or someone you love is taking a generic drug. And chances are many of you are. But before we get started, before we get going tonight, uh, many of you have noticed that I have been kind of AWOL from Facebook Live in the last week. Well, it's because my daughter got married Saturday. I know I thank you so much for all the wonderful comments on Facebook. It's just been just been so uh, so sweet and I appreciate all that. You know, it was it was really a, a magical, magical night. It was something that will be etched in my family's memory forever. It was just, just really special. Yeah, I don't know if any, many of you remember Saturday, what Saturday was like. A bit wet. Uh, Saturday morning I was out at the venue and I was sitting out on the porch early in the morning just having a cup of coffee and I was looking out at, at all the rain and it really occurred to me, this was an amazing metaphor for life and for a wedding. We were out there the day before for the rehearsal dinner and it was absolutely gorgeous, which is just beautiful, just absolutely sky was blue, not a cloud in the sky. And the next day, it was like a monsoon hit. I mean, it started raining at four in the morning and didn't stop for 24 hours. And of course, as the dad, I'm just freaking out, just going nuts. But I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, this is a perfect example of what happens in life, what happens in marriages. There's the sunny days and hopefully those sunny days are a lot more prevalent than the storms, but they're going to be those storms. They're going to be those days where you just don't want to get out of bed and you just think the world's against you and it's just hard to face. And as I was thinking about this in my head and pondering whether or not I needed to go build an ark and start loading guests when they got in two by two because it was just coming down. Katie, my, my daughter, comes walking out on the porch and we were alone there and it was just a special moment and we were talking and I looked at her and asked her if she was worried about the weather. I didn't even want to bring it up. And she just looked at me and said, Dan, it makes no difference. If, if I'm there Jared, her soon-to-be husband's there, family and friends, and if the preacher's there and makes it legal, that's all that matters. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, wow, man, my little girl has grown up. I get choked up just thinking about it right now. I said, my little girl is, is teaching me something. Uh, and and that's, that's what you got to remember in those days when you're full of the storm is that 
it doesn't really matter what's going on on the outside, what's going on in the inside, what, what's happening internally, who you are, what, you, what you're doing. Uh, are you around the people you love or are you, are you doing the things you want to do? She reminded me of that and from that moment on I had no worries because I knew that it was going to be a very special night and it was. And I, I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to let folks know uh, that's where I've been for the last week or so. And thank you again for your patience. And I appreciate all your very, very kind comments. So let's get to the matter at hand. Let's get to the matter. We're going to talk about generic drugs tonight. And let me say right from the start, I've got to give this disclaimer. My attorneys, you know, from the great law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howell, told me that I had to make this comment. I'm going to say some things tonight that may shock you, that may anger you, that may make you mad, that make you want to, may want to take your drugs and throw them out the window, your medicines. Don't do it. I'm telling you right now, make absolutely no changes in what you're doing until you talk to your physician or your pharmacist. This is not medical advice. I don't know your individual situation. So please do not do anything different other than become a critical consumer and educate yourself and take an active involvement in your health care. That's what I want you to do tonight. So take this information and use it to your benefit. That's the whole purpose. But don't change anything unless you talk to your doc or your pharmacist beforehand. So with that being done, we're going to talk about generic drugs. And why are we talking about generic drugs? Because 90% of the medications taken in this country today are considered generic. 90%. So I got a real good feeling that most of us either were taking it, we have a family member taking them, or we have a a friend or a loved one who's taking them. So it's very, very applicable to virtually all of us out there. That's the number one reason. I kind of got freaked out by all this. By listen, I, I listen to podcasts when I go out and run in the mornings or on the weekends. And I was listening to a podcast that had the author, uh, Catherine Eben, E-B-A-N, and I'm going to put all this information in the show notes so you'll be able to see it later. She has written a new book called Bottle of Lies, and that's where I'm getting a lot of this information from. She put together 10 years of investigative research to be able to bring to light some of the incredibly frightening developments in the generic drug world. And as a physician, my job is to kind of keep up with some of this stuff. But I got to tell you, I was blown away by the information that I learned in this book. I was listening to this podcast while I was out running, and I was just, I was sitting there screaming at my phone because I, I was hearing this stuff that I had heard for the first time, and it was really, really angering me. Um, the other part of me was getting excited because I was learning something incredibly new, and I wanted to be able to bring it to you guys and let you know and give you the resources where you could do some additional work on your own. But it, it, really, it really got me interested and got me excited. So the majority of the information I'm bringing you to tonight is from Catherine Eben's new book, that's E-B-A-N, called Bottle of Lies. And I would encourage you after we're finished, 
if you have any interest in this, certainly we're just making a very superficial run at it this evening. If you really want additional information, I cannot recommend this book any higher than, uh, than I have. Let's start out by clearing up a few misconceptions. I think a lot of us, and quite honestly, me, thought for the longest period of time, and probably still do, that generic drugs were simply the equivalent of the brand name, but just at a much lower price. Uh, wrong again, Prozac breath. It's not the way that works. And I'm gonna explain that a little bit further. You think about the manufacturing process. Basically, if you take even a brand name drug, let's let's take uh, uh, let's let's <coughs> let's take uh, uh, well, since I already picked on Prozac, we'll take Prozac. Even in the manufacturing place that produces the drug, different batches are going to have small increments of differences in the concentration of the active ingredient and what we call the matrix or what makes up that drug. Now because it's branded, it's had to pass massive amounts of FDA scrutiny both before and after it's manufactured, even testing certain uh, uh, manufacturing processes to guarantee that if I get one bottle of Prozac this week, then next week and I get another bottle of Prozac, well, hopefully I'm not going through it that quickly, but if I get another bottle of Prozac, it's going to be, for all intents and purposes, equivalent, the same thing. And generally, we used to think, or at least I used to think, that was what happened with generics. But the reality is, the law says that a generic only has to be what we call bioequivalent. And I'm going to get into a little bit about what that means in just a minute when I talk about the explosion of generics on the market. But just let it be said that to get a generic drug, a uh, again, we'll go back to the Prozac example. Say when Prozac goes off patent, and when, when a drug company develops a drug, it's guaranteed by law to have a certain period of time that it can sell that drug to recoup its losses and make a profit. That's called capitalism. The reality is that from the inception to the time it hits market, the average cost for a drug in development and production is close to a billion dollars. That's what it takes to get a drug from somebody's idea to the marketplace. It has to go through massive amounts of testing, generally three or four tiers of testing, starting out with animals and then progressing through humans. And the FDA is charged with looking at these drugs and making sure of two things with these drugs, that they're safe and that they're effective. That's their charge. Now what happens when a drug goes off patent, usually it can be very between seven and ten years, when a drug goes off patent, that's when a generic company can come in and say, all right, we're now going to make that drug and we're going to sell it a lot cheaper so we can capture a massive amount of the market. Well, what a lot of times people don't understand is say the maker of Prozac just doesn't go to a generic drug maker and say, okay, here's our recipe, here's how we 
put all this process together, which sometimes can involve hundreds of steps from A to B to C to D to E to finally get to the brand name mixture known as Prozac. They don't go and just turn that over to the generic company. They don't have to because a lot of the processes are actually patented also. The processes of making that drug are unique to that drug. So they don't have to just come in and say, it's, it's like Coke doesn't have to go in and say, here's the formula for Coke, which they never have. It's still in a safe somewhere in Atlanta. But the generic Coke makers can reverse engineer. They can kind of take the finished Coke product and use all their brainiac chemists and go and figure out, well, this contains this, this contains that, let's put it together, and now we have a generic cola. Well, that's what happens with these drugs. They'll take Prozac, these chemists will take Prozac, they'll break it down, they'll reverse engineer, and try to figure out those hundreds of processes and possibly chemicals that go into that to be able to then come up with a generic equivalent. Needless to say, that process is fraught with potential for mistakes, for all kind of problems. I mean, just think about it. Just think about something simple like, like cooking a steak dinner. Even if you have the right recipe, chances are if I'm cooking a steak dinner and somebody who owns a restaurant's cooking a steak dinner and we have the same ingredients and I'm reading the recipe, chances are it's going to turn out a little bit different because they know exactly what they're doing and I'm kind of having to just follow down like a chemistry lesson and figure it out. Simplistic example, but it's, it gives you some idea of what that, the problem that these guys run into. So again, the FDA, this will freak you out here. This will freak you out. The FDA is charged with safety and efficacy. The reason it costs so much for these drugs to get on the market is because of the massive amount of testing, the massive amount of money that goes into these studies. As I said, almost a billion dollars on average. So that's why prior to 1984, and we'll tell you why in just a minute, but prior to 1984, generic companies had to do the exact same thing. If a generic company wanted to make generic Prozac, it had to kind of go through exactly the same process and no generic company was willing to do that because their ability to recoup their losses was just almost tiny compared to the potential expense involved. But in 1984, there was a bill passed called the Hatch-Waxman Act. 1984, the Hatch-Waxman Act, and it was passed for a good reason. It had good intentions, but this is a perfect case of good intentions gone really bad. The good intentions were, all right, we're going to take all, all that massive testing away from the generics because we need generic, we need cheap drugs. They were getting pounded by lobbyist group and by health groups and by the public saying, these pharmaceutical companies are making killings. Their drugs are so expensive. We've got to do something about this. So they said, okay, all right, generic drug maker, here's what you can do. You don't have to show safety and e efficacy for your generic Prozac. That's already been proven by the drug companies. 
What you have to show is what they call bioequivalency, meaning that it has to be absorbed in the body and get into the bloodstream at a similar fashion as the brand name drug. But here's the other kicker. That law gave parameters, meaning that to be bioequivalent, a generic drug can range anywhere from 80% to 125% of the brand name. 80% to 125%. Now, quite honestly, for some things, that probably doesn't make that big a deal. Some antibiotics probably, but if you're on a blood pressure medicine or a seizure medicine or a thyroid medicine or something that has to be regulated to a pretty narrow range, that could be fairly significant if you have something that's only 80% or something that's 125%. But that's the law. That's all they have to meet. That's the standard they have to meet. Well, the idea behind this law was to say, okay, we don't want them to spend billions of dollars on proving something that's already been proved, but we do want them to still show this bioequivalency. Well, we see that maybe didn't work out. Again, this law of unintended consequences maybe didn't work out as it should. The second part of that, which was really, really kind of freaky to me, is they, they passed a law, again, to incentivize generics to make the drugs so we could have cheap drugs available. And in theory, that's great. Who doesn't want cheap drugs? But unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way because what they said now was we're going to do what we call a first to file rule meaning that if I am a company and I want to make generic Prozac if I'm the first company to file to make that generic Prozac then I am guaranteed for six months after that drug comes out exclusive rights to make the generic so you say, well, that sounds fair. You've got to give them a chance so they maybe have a little advantage in the marketplace. Well, what that translates into dollars for blockbuster drugs like Lipitor, for example, is during that six months, you can make upwards, they made upwards of $600 million. So it's a big deal to be the first to file. In fact, there were some episodes in the book that were really hilarious where these generic drug companies would literally send their executives to camp out in the parking lot of the FDA so they could be first in to submit their application. I mean, literally, she said there were fist fights of these executives pushing people out of the way because this is worth big, big bucks. So what that did is it just massively, massively increased the production of generics. Now, that in and of itself wouldn't be so bad. I mean, who, like the, the theory behind it, I mean, you just think about it. Wow, this is great for the American public. We're getting these bioequivalent drugs at sometimes a tenth, sometimes one-thirtieth of the price. What can be wrong with that? Well, what happened subsequently is what really created the biggest problem. And that's simply based on two statistics that you've got to really understand. Number one, 90% of the people in the country today on prescription medicines are getting generics. Number two, 80% of those drugs 
are either being manufactured outside of the U.S. or their ingredients, the active ingredient in the drug is being manufactured outside of the U.S. The majority of those in China and India. The book then goes into this story that just made my hair stand on end about the largest generic manufacturer in India called Rambexi. It was the largest generic manufacturing uh, plant in India. Massive, massive company. So back, uh, back in 2005, all this, the generic market just exploded around the world as these companies started saying, my gosh, this is just a massive market now. And if we can produce these drugs cheaply, we've got millions, if not billions of dollars to make. So the number of companies around the world that began to make generics to be marketed in the U.S. just exploded. And you might say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is the FDA. The FDA now had a mandate to begin to try to visit these facilities overseas and inspect them to try to conform to their uh, mission of providing safe and effective drugs for the U.S. population. Now they've got 80% of either the ingredient or the drug itself coming from outside the U.S. When they would go, when the FDA goes and inspects a U.S. plant, they go unannounced. They just show up and they can stay as long as they want. When they would go to these foreign plants in China and India, oftentimes they would get two to three weeks notice prior to showing up. A lot of it had to do with logistics, but the companies would know two to three weeks, if not months ahead of time that this inspection was coming, and then they were allowed to stage the inspection. In other words, they could show these people around. I mean, the stories in this book are, are hilarious but incredibly frightening with some of the experiences that these inspectors had at these foreign plants. For example, at this Rambaxi plant, they showed up and they, they literally were watching people carry big bins of paper, of, of lab experiments and documents down the hall while they were there to be shredded so they couldn't review them. I mean, this stuff was blatant. These people should be in jail. It is unbelievable the kind of stuff that was happening and the kind of, I mean, you, you, you will shoot blood out your eyes when you read about the kind of things that were going on in these plants that were manufacturing these drugs that were pouring into the U.S and still are, that's the crazy thing. All right, let's, let, let me give you a little bit more in the way of details. As I said, 80% of the active ingredients in U.S. drugs are produced around the world in plants in China and India, the two biggest. 90% of our drug supplies in generic. I mean, if you go to a pharmacy tomorrow and fill a prescription for an antibiotic for your child's ear infection, chances are real good it was made in China. So in 2003, this is, the book picks up this story and it reads like a James Bond novel. It's just amazing. Rambatsi hired a fellow named Dinesh Thacker who actually worked for uh, Bristol Smith Klein here in the US. And he went over to India to, went to, the, to the Rambatsi plant 
and was charged by the new, one of the new heads of, of enforcement over there to do a inspection, do a survey. Remember, he was, he was employed by the company to do a survey about what was going on in the company. It, were, were they doing things correctly? Because there were, there were little whiffs going around that they may have been doing things uh, under, under the lab table, if you will. Well, he did his inspection, put together his report. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. He found, and I can't quote the exact, it's in the book, but he found uh, in the 200 different drugs that were manufactured by, these, by this company, distributed around the world, 80% had fabricated data. They had fabricated the results of their test to, pro, to prove uh, bioequivalency. 80, I mean, blew me away. This is not just, this is just not one batch kind of following below and they throw it out. 80 to 85% distribute. Here's a perfect example that got my blood boiling. They made a AIDS cocktail that was distributed to Africa during the AIDS crisis back in the, the uh, 80s and 90s, and largely funded by a, a program started by President Bush, so it was largely funded by taxpayer dollars. Well, they, as part of some of these investigations, found out that there were contaminants in this AIDS drug that were making it much less effective, yet they still continued to supply it. There was an internal memo that was discovered at Sanbaxi that one of the, one of the chief with well, the C-suite people said, we're not really too worried about that because it's just blacks dying. I'm not kidding you. That was written in an email. That's the mentality of this company and what they were doing. It doesn't matter what happened. What they were concerned about was the ends, the money, the economics of it. That's what drove everything for them. Uh, this, this is a, a quote from one of the findings in one of the inspectors in that lab. I've got to read this to you. It's just... Says the business is describing Sambexi, the pharmacy company making generics. The business model was fraud, and everyone in the company was in on it. That people were given orders to swap out ingredients, to replace higher quality ingredients with lower quality, to do all the stability testing on the same day, to use the brand name drugs, and that was just how the whole company rolled. They would actually have some of their executives come to the U.S., fill suitcases up of the brand name drugs, take them back to India, which is unbelievably illegal, use those samples as part of testing so then they, they would claim that that's, they were testing their own drugs where they were testing the brand name drugs. That's the data they would give to the FDA. Unbelievable. Oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta settle down here. Uh, Peter Baker, another inspector that was talked about, uh, he was 32 years old when he began working for the FDA as an inspector in, these, in, in China in particular. 
He, over his career, looked at 86 generic drug makers in China. And again, if you're saying, who cares they're in China? 80% of our drugs are coming from China and India. This, these are not being produced. So this is stuff that applies to us. Anyway, in the 86 drug plants in India and China that he inspected, he found evidence of fraud or manipulation in 80% of the plants. 80% either were outright fraud or manipulated the data. He talks in there about uh, bird infestations in the, in the labs, uh, about finding cat feces. I mean, it's just frightening stuff. All right, so now that I've totally got you freaked out, that you're probably wanting to dump your pills down the toilet, let me make some, again, caveats. Yes, there's a major problem. Are there good quality generic drug makers? Of course there are. Just like there's crazy, terrible, horrible doctors, well, there's some good doctors too. So I don't want to poison the entire lot by having you, in all fairness, think that this is a, a, a systemic problem. It's systemic enough to raise a lot of concerns and I have a lot of concerns about the lack of oversight of these and I think there's there's arguments on either side oh we need these cheap drugs or people are going to go without and they're going to get sicker and I understand that argument but we need cheap drugs that aren't going to kill people or aren't going to create more problems uh, than, they, than they solve. I mean here's another example more recently that was this completely from a different source and this will really affect a lot of us including myself because I've I've dealt with this uh, there was a problem associated with the generic Zantac you know for acid reflux ranitidine is the generic Zantac was the brand name well there's a online pharmacy called Valisure, V-A-L-I-S-U-R-E, and I'll put this in the show notes too. There was, uh, what they do, which is kind of interesting, they're one of the few pharmacies that will actually test every drug that they distribute, every batch that they distribute, they will do a quality control test themselves, regardless of any other testing being done. And what happened is they began looking at some of these Zantacs, these ranitidine, not the brand name, but the, uh, well, actually, as it turns out, some of the brand name was a problem. And they began testing them, and they found high levels of a chemical called NDMA. NDMA is a known carcinogen, something that causes cancer. NDMA is a drug that, if you're doing a study with white rats and you're wanting to study whether something causes cancer or something doesn't and your control has to be rats that already have cancer, they give NDMA to the rats to be sure they get cancer. That's how they control. <laughs> They're so sure that this substance will cause cancer, that's what they give to the rats. And now obviously, the concentration of this substance in a single tablet of ranitidine was minimal. But these are medications that people take for years and years and years. We have no idea what that kind of exposure could potentially do over time. 
So that's just another example of why you have to be a critical consumer. So having said that, let's see, let me give you a little positive stuff so you're not all just jumping off a building and throwing your drugs down the drain. What can you do to help safeguard yourself and your family with regards to generic drugs? Again, knowing that a substantial number of the generic drugs are just fine. They're okay. Keep taking them. Don't stop anything. The vast majority of them, well, I can't say the vast, a number of them are just fine. But with that being said, what can you do? Number one, find out who manufactures the drug. It should be, the manufacturer will be listed on the box. Find out who they are and then research them. How do I do that? Well, you can start with the FDA website. And what you do on there is you look for, you search for any um, warning letters. You can put in the company, say it's Mylan, for example, and I'm just randomly picking that. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Say Mylan Pharmaceuticals. Well, you go in there and you search for Mylan Pharmaceuticals warning letter. And if the FDA has had a warning letter against a company, raises a red flag. Also, you can actually go in there and look for company reports that talk about the sterility or the uh, in data integrity uh, of the company. And the FDA will have that in these warning letters or if there's any citations against the company. It's kind of like going on the Better Business Bureau and putting in the company's name to see if they've got any complaints. A very similar thing. This is kind of simplistic and you kind of got to be careful of this, but heck, it's worth it. Just go on Google and do searches to see if other people on the particular drug you're, you're on have had complaints with the generic. That's how they actually determined some of the problems with some of the medications as they started getting multiple complaints from patients that they weren't getting the same result. Uh, in fact, one of the FDA inspectors, this was fascinating, his kid got a bad ear infection. So he went and got an antibiotic and the kid just didn't seem to get well. So they had to take him back to the doctor. They gave him a, a, another round of the antibiotic, still didn't seem to get any better. So knowing what he knew, he researched and found out that this particular antibiotic was coming from that Indian factory, that generic Indian factory. So he literally got another antibiotic from a U.S. made company and his kid was better in 48 hours. That's just an example of having to do, now that you have the knowledge, to do your research. And the FDA website is a great place to start, but also see if other people are having problems. If you find that there's a problem with the manufacturer, you're concerned about that, talk to your pharmacist about getting a generic from another manufacturer and then do your research there. Uh, many times drugs or uh, the generic drugs are being made by multiple manufacturers. So you can find out again on the FDA website and there's a thing called the orange, the FDA orange book. You can Google that, the FDA orange book will actually tell you which manufacturers manufacture which drugs. So you go in, you put in a drug, and it will tell you who around the world produces that generic drug. Another thing you can do is 
when you're looking up that medication, that generic from that particular company, look for something that says it's the authorized generic. Basically what that means is that the company making the brand name has given permission along with the formula, along with all the information to the generic so that they can produce a quality medication. So that's what's called an authorized generic. So if you see that, it's a little bit more in the way of um, uh, comfort. And then the bottom line is pay attention to your own symptoms. Pay attention to your own side effects. If you are using, and I see this all the time with birth control pills, probably the most common thing we see because generic birth control pills are just everywhere. And if somebody comes in and says they were having a lot of breakthrough bleeding or they were starting to have a different side effect, the first question I always ask is, are you on a generic? And 90% of the time they are. And then you can take it from there as far as, well, maybe you need to go back to a brand name so you know that you're, you're getting something that's more similar. Now, luckily with birth control pills, even with that 80% and 125%, that's still within the range of protecting against pregnancy, but it also can still create side effects like irregular bleeding. So a lot of other medicines have to be in a very narrow range and it takes on a much great more import than the birth control pill example. Um, thank you so much. God bless. And like always, make healthy choices. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at r-e-a-k-e-r at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.